America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Hey, everybody. We're back with the Everybody Trades podcast. Hope you enjoyed last edition of this show where we talked a little Barry on HBO, but if you like the one voice format, we're back to that for this week. Hopefully we'll get more guests in here soon, but for now you're just going to have to settle for me. But hey, where have I been? Good question. And what have I been doing? Frankly, lately I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of listening, and most importantly, at least for my work, I've been doing a lot of reflection on my own work. I've been looking at my last five to six years of trading in particular, and really uh, logging all those trades into spreadsheets and and just gleaning a lot of new information and just remembering what I've done right and frankly, sometimes more importantly, what I've, what I've done wrong. I think the biggest thing, if I'm going to be honest with all of you, is, is something I've always kind of known and it's just really been solidified by looking at my work. When I trade, I don't do so hot. When I try to do short-term moves, and you, which usually result in, in stock picks, if you will. I'm, I'm using other people's advice to try to make short-term moves. That usually doesn't work out as well for me as, as the investing thing. So I'm much more of a long-term guy. So when I see a stock, you know, I, I keep mentioning Huntington Ingalls over and over again. And that's a stock that, that's a thesis I believe in because... I believe that there is going to be some sort of showdown in the South China Seas between the Chinese government and the U.S. government. Nothing has changed my mind on that particular thesis, so I'm going to stick with it and keep accumulating that stock as long as I think it's intact. As far as the big macro headlines of the market, I think obviously that the potential for a quote-unquote trade war has got to be still the biggest one. We're looking at... You know, we're looking at tariffs here. We're looking at tariffs that are being raised as, as a possible threat against the Chinese as, as long-time tariffs have been on, uh, on U.S. products, on U.S. imports to China have been tariffed for a long time. So I guess the argument is by some people that we should use these tariffs in order to get better deals for us. Now, of course, my argument is that all tariffs are always bad. Now, if this is a negotiating ploy that ultimately ends up with all tariffs being lower, that's all fine and dandy. Now, I saw a quote from Charles Payne this morning who appears on the Fox News Channel, Fox Business frequently. He's almost kind of like their Jim Cramer, if you will. He said, quote, It's remarkable a nation born of unfair trade relationship and taxation without representation is supposed to accept current arrangements. So obviously Charles thinks that we've been getting the shaft, the United States. Um, what I would say is, obviously, I don't think that the United States should be raising tariffs or putting in new tariffs, but obviously the Chinese government shouldn't either. But where I would disagree with Charles, his characterization there, it's not the American people as such that are getting boned over in these tariffs. It's the Chinese people. 
Now, again, that's not a good thing, but I don't think there's anything that the U.S. government can really do about that unless, you know, maybe, hey, Mr. Art of the Deal, Donald Trump can get something done. That, that's really the, that's the optimistic view. If you believe that, then there, there's absolutely nothing to worry about. If you think that there's a chance that there could be some escalation here on the other back end of China, that's what you should worry about. I, I'm kind of just watching and listening at this point. I, I'm not really sure what to say as far as predicting the future there, but I, I'm just trying to focus on more United States companies, frankly. Um, and I've also taken some profits today. I sold half my position in STZ, Constellation Brands which is a multinational liquor corporation, sells a lot of uh, Mexican beer brands, for instance, that you're well aware of, like Modelo, Pacifico, and you know various, uh, various hard liquor brands as well. But again, I just want to concentrate mostly on American companies and companies that like, say, a Facebook or something like that, for instance, that isn't going to be affected, a Spotify, something like that that isn't going to be affected by potential tariffs. It's interesting this whole tariff debate really brings up something that kind of sticks in my craw a lot. It seems like economics is presented in this very confusing way and one of the one of the confusing ways is like people like Charles Payne who I just mentioned will they'll champion what is called supply side economics and then generally people on the left People like Paul Krugman, people who come from the Keynesian tilt, they're going to champion demand-side economics. So what do I believe in? Well, frankly, I don't believe in either one of those things because both of them imply that we need a central figure to quote-unquote run the economy. Frankly, that's a dangerous idea. I don't believe in supply-side nor demand-side. See, what I believe in is property-side I believe in individual property rights. And at the risk of repeating myself here, that is the moral foundation of everything that I believe in. And the very first thing you need to understand about that is you own yourself. So therefore, just like I say everybody trades, well, everybody also owns property because you own yourself morally. Now, unfortunately... Obviously, some people have literally been born into enslavement throughout human history, and in a real sense, unfortunately, they don't own themselves. But I think we can all agree, I would hope to God, anyone within the sound of my voice here would agree that owning another human being is wrong, okay? So therefore, now I'm just going to be honest with you guys, I do take a I don't want to say an extreme view, but for the sake of this discussion, we'll say the I'll take the ultimate view on property rights. I believe that everybody should own 100% of themselves, which means that I'm not a fan of taxation. Guess what? I don't think that stuff is right. I just don't. Not if you don't have the consent of the governed, you see? That's the key. It's all about consent. Individual property, including yourself, is all about consent. Obviously, you can charge people for things. Obviously, you can come into contractual agreements. But you're not allowed to aggress upon other people or their property. That's the key to understand. But as we transition here, it's not just about economics at all, property. No, you see, actually, as we can see, we've had a lot of First Amendment free speech debates lately. 
And one of the things that I think is interesting is most people don't think of free speech in terms of property rights. But really, that's what free speech ultimately comes down to. Because there, of course, are going to be free speech they're going to be free speech conflicts, conflicts of speech. Like, for instance, let's take a journalist who has recently been imprisoned in Europe and actually in Great Britain. His name is Tommy Robinson. I'm going to be completely honest with you all. I, I'm not very familiar with Mr. Robinson nor his views on most things. I haven't taken a lot of time to get them either because, frankly... For the, for the purposes of this story, it doesn't matter to me what Mr. Robinson's views are. But it sure as heck matters to the British authorities who have recently incarcerated him. Now you see, basically what happened here is Tommy Robinson has been speaking out about what is now popularly and euphemistically, I would call, grooming gangs. And these grooming gangs are really, I say it's a euphemism because really what it is is child rape. Grooming, see these people uh, take youngsters and groom them. I, I, I'm not exactly, you can imagine what that means, I guess. That's one of the most horrible, disgusting euphemisms I've ever heard for just ritualistic, continual child rape. But boy, this is a, this is a cheery episode so far, isn't it? But anyway... This guy has spoken out about this, and you'd think most people would be like, oh my god, child rape, we need to do something about this, right? Unfortunately, it's not so simple, at least in London, because the perpetrators, the alleged perpetrators of this supposed grooming happen to be Muslim people. And that is where Tommy Robinson has run afoul of the PC, what I would call the PC sort of speech code police in London. I'd say this is a rather frightening tactic on the part of the UK authorities and beyond chilling to speech. I mean, this is authoritarian. I mean, there's really no other word for it than to say that it's authoritarian. Even if Mr. Robinson is, his allegations are completely wrong, even if he's a horrible, disgusting human being, which I'm not alleging that he is, I'm just telling you completely honestly that I don't know who he is. I'm not abreast to all of his views. But I can tell you this, no matter how abhorrent or disgusting you might think that Mr. Robinson's views are, denying him his speech is far more disgusting. You see, simple speech does not aggress upon anyone. This is what comes back to property rights. You see, it's actually pretty simple. In a situation like like Roseanne Barr has been a big topic lately because her hit TV show has now been canceled. She's been canned because she said a joke on Twitter, what she called a joke anyway, that a lot of people found offensive. Well, here's the deal. Some people would say, wait a minute, doesn't Roseanne have free speech rights? Well, yes, she does. She does have her right to speak, no question. And... Under the First Amendment, the government supposedly guarantees your right to speech, or they at least guarantee that the government won't interfere. So in this case, Disney, the owners of ABC, they're the property owners. Okay, so they can decide who's on their show or not, right? If they no longer want to employ Roseanne, that's up to them. 
So really, there is no violation here. That comes back to property. See, Roseanne was not allowed, was not, nobody stifled Roseanne's ability to speak. Nobody put a, see, what a real stifling of speech is physical aggression or the actual physical silencing of a person. See, even if Twitter would have blocked Roseanne, see, again, Twitter is their, Twitter owns Twitter. Roseanne doesn't own Twitter. You do not own your own Twitter account. And there was actually an interesting <laughs> Supreme Court decision. I th- or some No, actually, it wasn't a Supreme Court decision. I'm sorry. It was actually a lower court decision where the judge said that Donald Trump, because he's the president of the United States, he can't block people on Twitter. Well, I thought that was kind of silly. But, of course, I would agree that Twitter can say that Donald Trump can't block people because, again, Twitter owns Twitter. Donald Trump doesn't own Twitter. Twitter owns Twitter. Now, if Donald Trump owned Twitter, that would be an absurd ruling. Then Donald Trump could do whatever he wants. But a twi- you have a right to free speech because you own yourself. But you can't force people to listen. You see, again, that's aggression. That's force. Now, having said all of this about free speech as it relates to property rights, now's a good time to make a distinction between the legal definition of what I just described as what property rights is, as speech through property should be viewed, in my opinion, that's the moral way to look at anything, including speech. Then there's also the First Amendment, which is our legal rights per se. Well, to me, that's all well and good. We have a lot of people who say, like like I just made the example with Roseanne, that that's, hey, that's ABC, you're not... You're not, prote- you're, you're not protected from being fired. You're not protected from consequences. Okay, that's fine and dandy. A lot of people point that out. But I'd also like to point out that there's beyond the legal definitions of free speech, there's also what I would call a culture of free speech. And culture is always going to trump any sort of legality you have in any society. See, if everybody decides that they're going to speak, that they're going to go 85 miles an hour in a 65, there's really, there's not enough cops in the world to pull them over. And that's just a fact of life. If, if, if everybody in your neighborhood is just going to let their dog crap in your yard and nobody's going to pick it up, there's not enough ticket. There's not enough tickets that can be written to stop that particular activity. So therefore, the culture of free speech is incredibly important. And that brings me to a certain story that I picked up on just a couple days ago. Apparently, there's this play out called the $18 billion prize. The play is based on the, the diaries of this lawyer who was the lead counsel against a, in a lawsuit against Chevron, where this guy basically colluded with a bunch of environmental activists who bribed the judge in the case. And so this this doesn't obviously look very good. It doesn't reflect very good on the sort of anti-oil crowd. So a bunch of actors in that play have decided that they don't want to be a part of it anymore. In fact, I think a majority of, of them are now protesting being in, in the actual production. And what's really interesting, even more so... See, this is where I get into the idea of a culture of free speech. Like, obviously, there should be a culture of free speech and free thought, the free exchange of ideas on college campuses. 
And as a former journalism student, a former newspaper man, I also clearly feel that in the field of journalism that there should be that culture of free speech, the free exchange of ideas as well. Doesn't mean we all have to agree with everything, but unfortunately, too many people now think that free speech does equal we all agree on everything. In fact, there is a list of things that are completely verboten to talk about, and then there's, which is ever-growing, the list of things that are verboten to talk about, the list of acceptable topics that we can talk about in public are ever-shrinking, sort of like, you know, like like I was talking about, the Muslim slow-called grooming gangs that appear to be popping up in, in Britain. And what I'm saying is, it's not fair. We shouldn't make it based on the people's, I don't know, their tribal identity, what we've discovered, what we've decided their identity is, and whether they've been aggrieved by Western society or not. You know, there's a movie called Spotlight that came out that I believe won Best Picture in 2015. It was all about essentially child rape, except it was by the Catholic Church that was covered up and people in the Catholic powerful people in the church who are actually involved in child rape and the cover up of child rape. Frankly, it was a really good movie and it's a bold movie that a lot of people in Hollywood pat themselves on the back for. But unfortunately, as we're going to see, as we have seen in this play, the $18 billion prize, this guy wrote a review of it that was actually quite, uh, it was actually in favor of it. It was it was a positive review of the film as far as or I'm sorry, of the play as far as it goes. Now the guy is not a pro Chevron plant or something. In fact, he he's a self-described progressive named Daniel Kennard. And I'll I'll read a quote from you here. Uh in the concluding paragraph of his unpublished review here that that his that his uh his editor at the the Theatrius, is that how you pronounce that? Here's Anyway, here's what Mr. Kennard said. He said, This is not a play that is against the environmental movement, nor contra-progressive values. This is a play that reminds us that integrity matters, an important and timely reminder in the age of hashtag resist. I think that's a really great sentiment by Mr. Kennard there, but... I have to say it also reminds me how the how the supposed hashtag resist movement is really often about actually hashtag submit. It's really about submitting to our ideas. Like you cannot see Donald Trump, like him or not, which frankly there are some things I like about him and some things I really, really hate about him. He's frankly a crass guy, but that's the least of it. But that was just the first thing that popped into my head I'm not a big fan of, but goes a lot further than that. The point is, it's really about how he, again, goes off talking about free speech. He is off the list of permittable discussion topics. He talks about things that people supposedly are not allowed to talk about. And that's, again, a secret. We talked about this in the Barry podcast previously. This is one of the secrets to his popularity. For those of you who still can't quite understand it, you're getting to it there once you realize that actually Donald Trump has not only gone off the list of acceptable politically correct topics, he's actually taken that list, ripped it up, and thrown it into the fireplace. 
And speaking of Donald Trump, of course, with the latest news that the NFL will be requiring its players to either stand for the national anthem or remain in the locker room, well, you knew Mr. Trump couldn't resist. (laughs) Hashtag. You knew he couldn't resist commenting on that little situation. But that actually is, so you might think you know where I'm going to come down on this, having just given my little property discussion. But au contraire, because this particular situation is actually more complicated than you think. First of all, obviously Colin Kaepernick has the right to say whatever he wants. I'm not disagreeing with that one bit. So you might think, well, based on what John's just said, he should say, hey, guess what? then the NFL should have every right to just say, to choose who they get to play. And, and and they do. They do. But boy, it starts getting complicated because there isn't a clear property rights scenario here. Here's why. The NFL gets tons and tons of tax dollars for for not only... They get local tax dollars for the most part for its stadium subs or its subsidized stadiums. Almost every stadium in the league is in some way subsidized. But not only that, the Department of Defense, directly from the Pentagon, pays tons of money to the NFL to hold these huge patriotic quote unquote flag ceremonies where they stand everybody stands around does the national anthem there's often a flyover you know of a B2 stealth bomber or something as we see in Kansas City as we're near uh, a, a, the that air force base well i got news for you none of that stuff is free so obviously who's paying for it we are the taxpayers and you know what who else happens who happens to be a direct contributor who happens to be a rather large taxpayer who happens to be among the one percent of all taxpayers nfl football players you don't think i mean colin kaepernick's made a lot of money over his life he's paid a lot of taxes how is it okay forget about what you think of colin kaepernick i don't care i don't care if you like him i don't care if you hate him i don't care if you're apathetic your opinion of colin kaepernick is meaningless Here's what matters. He has rights, just like you do. Unfortunately, now his rights have been violated, just like all of our rights have been violated. If you want to have a flag ceremony at your house, have one. If you want to pay to see a flag ceremony, have one. Why should Colin Kaepernick's money, or my money, or your money, or anybody's money, be taken and given to billionaire owners so they can do their little flag ceremonies, their patriotic showings. I mean, this is this is government propaganda going on at an NFL game. Whether you like again, whether you like that or not is not the point. This isn't a political argument, this is a moral argument. This is a property-based argument. There's absolutely no way that we should be taking money from people in order to do a fancy 100-yard flag with a B2 bomber and fireworks and hey America if you if the NFL teams want to do that go ahead use your money stop stealing money from us federal government and giving it to these teams that's the part that that chaps me you can say what you want about Colin Kaepernick but it's not as simple to just say oh well he should you know just take it because he doesn't own the team. Well, you're right. He doesn't own the team, 
but apparently they need his money in order to to make the team operate. See, that's the ridiculous part. This is not this is actually a fairly new phenomenon. I could be wrong. I think it was 2008, 2009 where the NFL started doing these ceremonies and routinely having all the players stand for the national anthem. This is a fairly new phenomenon, and you know why? Because these subsidies are a fairly new phenomenon. They wouldn't do these every single week, or certainly not as frequently, if they weren't being subsidized. They can save lots of money by not doing this. Uh, To me, the whole thing is just ridiculous. So frankly, you know, I certainly don't, I'll tell you this, I'm not a big fan of Colin Kaepernick wearing, uh, who's the, who's the guy in Cuba? I'm completely losing my mind. Fidel Castro. I'm not a big fan of him wearing Fidel Castro shirts. In fact, I think that's one of the most ignorant things I've ever seen in my life. Having said that, having no clear property designation here because all of our tax money is sort of paying for these weird things, including much of Colin Kaepernick's own property, his own blood, sweat, and tears is being used to pay for these ceremonies. The fact that he's peacefully taking a knee, I have to, I have to side with the culture of free speech. I have to. I'm always going to try to, I'm always going to side with the culture of free speech. I'm always going to try to. I'm going to err on that. But particularly when somebody's property rights are being violated too, I'm sorry. I have to I have to stand with Colin Kaepernick, ironically, and his ability to take a knee. I'm not going to be taking a knee anytime soon. But hey, there's no way I'm going to say that, oh, F this guy or whatever. And by the way, I'm a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. If they traded Marcus Peters because he's been taking a knee... I am going to be furious if I ever find that out. Furious. I want to win football games. The heck with your political thoughts. Win, win, win. Once again, I I love the, the First Amendment is a pretty great idea, but at the same time, and by the way, property rights are even better, as I've said, and free speech becomes much, much clearer when viewed through that lens. But having said that, once again, culture always trumps law, and we have to be really careful to always have a culture of free speech and respect and manners and all these different sorts of things. Once again, if people don't pick up their dog poop, there are not enough cops to write them enough tickets. It's never going to happen. We're screwed if we don't pick up our dog poop figuratively and literally. See, we have to police ourselves, and we have to clean up our own crap, if you will. And the spirit of free speech is absolutely no different. Thanks for joining me today, everybody. Guns in my area. I got the strap. I gotta carry them. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is gorilla.